let's get into the word of God that changes us. I've been speaking on sexual purity in a moral wilderness. We know that the world, specifically America, has become a moral wilderness. Whatever traditional moral values this country might have had at one time, they're, if they're not totally gone, they're just about exhausted. And uh, so I want to address this issue. How does the church address it? How does God address it? That's the most important thing. Where do we begin? Where do we get our moorings? Where do we get our boundaries? Where do we get our references? Where do we start? Well, we go back to the Word of God and see God created us. He created us man and woman in His image. He should know uh, what sexuality is all about, the beauty of it, and uh, the, the sacredness of it. Something that's lost in our society today. It's even lost in the church. That sex is sacred. And it's to honor God. And it should bring a man and woman closer together. And to say praise God. And to thank God. And to and, 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 and just rejoice in God. But unfortunately, it's far from what sex is in the world today. And specifically in America as we speak. Uh, we're going to read a little lengthy reading. We're going to start in Proverbs chapter 5. I will read the first nine verses. Then I will go into Proverbs 6, excuse me, <clears throat> and start in verse 20, reading to 7, 5. But understand, Proverbs 5, 6, and 7 all go together, and it really speaks on sexual purity in a moral wilderness. The 5, 6, and 7, go home, read it this week. I'll be speaking on it for a while. Uh, I spoke on this series uh, five years ago. And after speaking out of Ephesians on sexual purity, Christ, culture, sex, and the Christian, I decided to continue to follow up on it. Now, a little bit might sound redundant, but please stay with me as we go into the Word of God and and see how penetratingly insightful a text of Scripture that was written over 3,000 years ago, it is relevant to our day and age. The Word of God is eternal. It's absolutely eternal. It's wisdom, it's scrutiny, it's insight goes beyond human comprehension. A human being could not pen what we're going to read. So let's go to the Word. Chapter 5 of Proverbs, I'll read the first nine verses. My son, be attentive to my wisdom. Incline your ear to my understanding, that you may keep discretion, and your lips may guard knowledge. For the lips of a forbidden woman drip honey, and her speech is smoother than oil. But in the end she is bitter as wormwood, sharp as a two-edged sword. Her feet go down to death, her steps follow the path of shoal. She does not ponder the path of life. Her ways wander, and she does not know it. And now, O sons, listen to me, and do not depart from the words of my mouth. Keep your way far from her, do not go near the door of her house. Lest you be, give your honor to others and your years to the merciless. Chapter 6. Starting in verse 20. My son, keep your father's commandment and forsake not your mother's teaching. Bind them on your heart always. Tie them around your neck. When you walk, they will lead you. When you lie down, they will water you. They will watch over you. And when you awake, they will talk to you. For the commandment is a lamp and the teaching a light. And the reproofs of discipline are the way of life. To preserve you from the evil woman, from the smooth tongue of the adulteress. Do not desire her beauty in your heart. 
Do not let her capture you with her eyelashes, for the price of a prostitute is only a loaf of bread, but a married woman hunts down a precious life. Can a man carry fire next to his chest and his clothes not be burned? Or can one walk on hot coals and his feet not be scorched? So he who get, goes into the neighbor's wife, none who touches her will go unpunished. People do not despise a thief if he steals to satisfy his appetite when he's hungry. But if he is caught, he will pay sevenfold. He will give all the goods of his house. He who commits adultery lacks sense. He who does it destroys himself. He will, he will get wounds and dishonor, and his disgrace will not be wiped away. For jealousy makes a man furious. I should say, for jealousy makes the husband of the adulterous woman furious, and he will not spare him when he takes revenge. He will accept no compensation. He will refuse, though you multiply your gifts. Chapter 7. My son, keep my words and treasure up my commandments within you. Keep, your, keep my commandments and live. Keep my teaching as an apple of your eye. Bind them on your fingers. Write them on a tablet of your heart. Say to wisdom, you are my sister. And call insight your intimate friend. To keep you from the forbidden woman from the adulteress and her smooth words. Let's pray. Father, we thank you like always for the insight of scripture, Father God, that guards our hearts and guards our minds by teaching us and showing us, Father God, what to meditate on and what to stay away from and to watch the seductions of the world and the temptations of the world and even the weaknesses in our own lives, Father God. Help us, Father God, to understand the wisdom of grace and sexual purity, Father God, how your word is alive and it's active and it, it motivates us to purity and it teaches us the pure way. It teaches us and guards us against going in the wrong direction or being seduced by a culture that has no understanding of sexuality or the sacredness of sex, Father God, a culture that's a moral wilderness, a culture that's so deep in depravity, Father God, it does not know where to begin. It cannot see the aches and pains of a society around it. Help us and encourage us in your word today, Father God, in Jesus' precious name. Amen. As the title says, excuse me, <coughs> we'll be speaking on the wisdom of the word of God gives concerning sexual purity. The word of God gives wisdom, exhortation, and admonishing us. It informs us, it warns us, it gives us metaphors, analogies. It shows us where the danger lies. It's not a mystery. Proverbs says that wisdom shouts out in the street. God's word shouts aloud. It doesn't whisper, live this way. It doesn't whisper, do me a favor, would you? No, the word of God shouts, this is the way a man lives. This is the way a woman should live. Come to me and receive wisdom, receive grace, receive mercy. Moral strength is in my word. Bind it on your heart. Wrap it around your neck. Wherever you go, take the wisdom that I give in the culture you live in. And in this way, you'll keep your way pure. I'll be speaking out of Proverbs chapter 5 and 7, which is one long exhortation on purity. Spent some time in it this week. My motive is to impart the wisdom that the scriptures teach us on sexual purity, the joy and personal fulfillment of sexual relation. 
between a man and a woman, between a husband and a wife. The joy of waiting for a man or a woman to wait. The joy of waiting with purpose. Not just holding on in abstinence. Well, I'll just I'll, I'll do the best I can, Pastor. No, to wait with joy. That you're honoring God. Being virtuous. That's worship. For you who are not married, it's worship to God. Men and women, you're worshiping God. In sexual purity. The joy of knowing, unquestionably. Please hear me. The joy and the peace of unquestionably knowing there is a right way. There is a right way. There's a moral intuition the word of God gives us that says, this is right, this is clean. This is something I can live for. Compared to what the culture says. It has done to the beauty of sex. We live in a society that has absolutely no sexual boundaries. A society that has thrown off all moral restraints, labeling them, labeling them antiquated, religious, or even worse, repressive. Moral restraint has no value. It stops the person from experiencing freedom. From expressing one's true self of self-discovery. And then nurturing that that sexual self-discovery and then, and then experience it as much as you can. Anything goes at any time with anybody in any circumstance. Anything. Nothing is taboo anymore. Nothing. There was a time you think of something, maybe even do something, you had, you had a sense of shame. But we live in a society that not just worships sex and promotes sex, illicit perverted sex, but it it celebrates it. And if you don't celebrate along with the culture, there's something wrong with you. You're not allowed to have a moral compass. You're not allowed to have an absolute moral standard. Shame on you. Please listen to me. You hold on to the moral standard God has taught you and is teaching us today. And you hold on to it and let no one at all sway you from the moral absolutes that God has given us so that we can know and enjoy the sacredness of sex. Nothing's terrible. It's a moral wilderness, fixed and filled with sexual predators of all types, but as Proverbs 5 to 7 will show us over the next several weeks or over the next month as I go through it, it's more pervasive than we think. We truly belong to a society that has gone crazy for sex and worships sex in every way. And it's going to get worse. Without a doubt, sex has become an idol to be worshipped as the all-in-all personal venue to happiness and fulfillment. As I shared over the last couple of weeks, if somehow you are just not engaged in sexual activity all the time, it seems, then you're not living. You're missing something. Something's wrong with you. Something's wrong with your marriage. Money, time, resources 
are all spent on it. I shared over the last couple of weeks, I'll share it again, like I said, a little bit redundant. It was a time you could buy a magazine, a men's magazine, a weightlifting magazine, and, you, and guess what you learned? Weightlifting. But now you can't pick it up without learning to have a better orgasm or 10 secrets to better sex and how to please everybody. And, you know, and I get a kick out of it. I'm like, there's nothing there. Please do me, do me a favor. Just glance at some of these magazines and that's all it is. If it doesn't have something on sex on the cover, they won't even put it out. They won't even publish it. Inundated. The society is inundated. A matter of fact, to this day, when I first got saved, I had to cross. I remember when I first got saved, I was in Manhattan. I was learning martial arts. And there was always this, they had newsstands back then outside on the street. And they had the filthy rack. And the filthy rack always had my eye. And then I got saved. And I remember the filthy rack wanted me more after my salvation than before my salvation. So I had to learn to come up out of the other way, out of another subway station, and take the long way around so I didn't go by the filthy rack. You see, someone said, well, you can do all things through Christ who strengthens you, brother. And I said, yeah, he told me to go down the other block and come around the wrong way. He did. He strengthened me. He gave me wisdom. And to this day, we still need that wisdom. Because we're still prone to wander. All of us are prone to wander. And we've got to be careful. Long before I preach to you, I have to preach it to myself. But this is the society we live on time. Energy, resources are spent on it. But as we learned a couple weeks ago, the desire, the sexual appetite is never what? It's never never satisfied. Has to happen more. I remember when I first got saved, probably about three or four years into this, and I I started feeling this moral strength rise up in me, and I started living like the man of God that God had for me, and I knew I can do this, and I didn't have to live under that bondage anymore, and I can remember eating a a bagel and looking at the window of a bagel, and and something fell out of the window onto the floor. I can see it was a newspaper or magazine, and a man comes by with a cane, and he looks. I still don't know what it is. I know it's a magazine. And he looks down. I thought his eyes were going to pop out of his head. Cane and all, he was able to bend down like he was 15 years old. He picked up the magazine. I realized what it was. It was a Playboy magazine. He put it under his jacket and he shuffled off with his cane. It never ends. It never ends. You would think by that time you were like, thank God I don't have to think about this anymore. The desires are never satisfied. As a matter of fact, on the contrary, they get worse. Desire entangles and strangles the very life of a person. It ruins the individual. It ruins the family. Then it ruins the community. And then it ruins society. As the proverb we just read, society does not ponder the path of life. Society's feet go down to death. Society's steps follow the path of hell. But in the end, society is bitter as wormwood. But you see, society just cannot bring itself to condemning it. Or exposing it. They never mention the pain. A couple weeks ago, I, I, I rattled off statistics 
of sexual pain and sexual regret, even from college students and uh, from a, a long list. I'm not going to go through them again of all the pain that's out there that's never mentioned in, in Hollywood. It's never mentioned in entertainment. It's never mentioned on the media. When they're selling sexually transmitted disease uh, uh, medications on TV, they're all smiling. They're all happy. There's a medication now to take away the consequence of fornication. Everybody's happy. Just take the drug. How about, there's a better way. How about, why don't you teach your children abstinence and virtue and the sacredness of sex? But they can't do that. So they cover it up with a drug, they cover it up with a commercial, they cover it up with a, uh, a Colgate smile, like everybody's happy. But I'm a pastor, and I've sat down with many, many people that have gone through many, many things, and guess what? They're not happy. And guess what? They don't have a Colgate smile. And guess what? They've been hurting inside, and some of them for many decades, because of the sexual perversions and mischief they got themselves caught up in long before they came to Christ. And it hurts. But as I remind every born-again believer, your past is washed up in Christ. You are a new creation. He has washed us in the blood, and he has given us of his spirit. We are spiritual virgins again. As Christians, we can hear this and rejoice. Guilt and shame have no mastery over us anymore. We finally have understanding. Praise the Lord. The statistics are staggering on sexually transmitted diseases, abortion, divorce, family breakup, the emotional and psychological pain of teenagers and teenage pregnancy. And yes, they don't talk about a teenage depression and teenage suicide that can easily be traced back to sexual encounters. No one is saying a word. The statistics speak out loud, but guess what? Nobody is listening. Because once a person or a society has removed any moral absolute from the equation, it has by default adopted an anything-goes policy. They've opened up their flank to every sexual perversion. And if you're not on board, if you don't believe it, we'll label bigots or maybe even hate mongers. Self-righteous. Do you know we're going to suffer the same fate of Lot? Go home and read Genesis 19. When they were banging down the door, men burning in passion for men. They wanted to have sex with the angels, men. They were banging down the door of Lot's house, and Lot came out and said, Men, brothers, do not do this evil. And they looked at him and said, Who made you judge over us? You came here as a pilgrim and you stand as the moral judge over us while our passions are burning inside. You're going to try to get in the way and stop us as we worship sex. We're going to do worse to you than to them. And if the angel didn't reach out his hand and bring Lot back in, they would have. Nothing's changed, Christian man, Christian woman. They will hate. The world will hate us for our moral convictions. Paul says it best. All those who press into moral godliness will be persecuted. The world doesn't want a reminder that its deeds are evil. Jesus said that. 
You would think a $20 billion porn industry is the major culprit to all this, but it's only part of the problem. The music industry, Hollywood, TV, commercial advertisements, I've even speak about even cartoons with their sexually over, overtones and sexual innuendos. The endorsement of homosexuality, fornication, adultery, one night stands by primetime media, which used to be known as the family hour, is all over the place. Scandal after scandal in politics and schools and the business world, military institutions, and yes, and even in the Christian church, all go to endorse this low view of sex. Desensitized is what we live in. A desensitized culture. The blatant undermining, please hear this, the blatant undermining of parental guardianship by the school system in all areas of a child's education, welfare, and moral upbringing has produced a new sexual predator to be concerned with. Not just the ones we're familiar with lurking in dark corners and around schoolyards. No, this is a new, more subtle one that comes right into the school as curriculum that legitimizes sexual sin. Let me give you an example. Speaking to a friend who sent their child off to school. Another innocent day of sending someone off to first, I think it was first grade, second grade, maybe. And two days later, they saw on Facebook, by accident, their child holding hands with another child, another male, and girls together, and there might have been some cross-dressing, and I don't know, but the, the closed caption was the modern family. Oh my God. Children. This is not education. This is indoctrination. That's indoctrination. No one told the parent. This is the school system. This is a school taking matters into their own hand. This is what we got to deal with. It's all in the name of political correctness. Please understand, this is Satan. It is the spirit of the world. And we have to rise up in love and confront it. In love, not hostility. We need to be strong and firm in our convictions and the way we express it. And if someone wants to call us hate and hate mongers and bigots, please understand something. You have to turn the other cheek. If they're going to slap us down, we have to do it with tears and a burden in our eyes because we need God to move on our nation. That's the only way it's going to happen. And on our personal families. We've got to break it down into the microcosm of the family. We see what's going on in society. You know why? Because the family has already fell apart. Families already fell apart. We need to encourage each other to honor God and to escape from this pit of corruption. I was there. Many of us in the room were there. And to do this, we have to be proactive. Silence on this issue is deadly. It's deadly. The pulpit is the first line. I should say the second line of defense. I'll show you the first line of defense as we get into the proverb. It's not the pulpit. It's the house. Yes. We need to not just warn others, but educate them in the beauty of sexual intercourse, in the bond of marriage, male and female. 
honoring each other in commitment and fidelity and trust. Which sex is just an expression of true love and it builds a deeper bond in a relationship. We teach the beauty of virginity, the power of celibacy to our children, and the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Many Christian parents have all but given up thinking, what can I do? What can a parent do? There was a time, even in religious circles, growing up as a Catholic, there was sex education. There was something there. But that's even been ripped out of the school system. Because it offends people. Sex education offends them. Proper sexual education, religious absolutes, being created a man and woman in God's image, to bear children and be fruitful, is lost in so many circles. But many Protestant and Catholic churches are doing the best they can in institutions to hold on to the moral truth, and I praise God for that. The Proverbs we're teaching tonight, first and foremost, the first line of defense is this. The proverb teaches parents a part of the answer to elicit sexual behavior in our culture. It is the word of God. Parents imparting the power and the wisdom of the word of God. Parents empowering the power and the wisdom of the word of God. Parents and grandparents taking their stands within the entity of the family and being a moral compass does not mean we can guarantee any success. We have to leave it to the Lord. But silence is deadly. We need to take our stance. And if they treat us like Lot, then we'll just wait for the angel of the Lord to reach out and save us. That's all. And it's powerful. The word of God is powerful when it's backed up by loving parents and guardians. Parents and uncles and grandparents. If you're born again, if you're filled with the spirit of God, if you know the word of God, you know the will of God, you know the love of God, take a stance in a child's life. I was out in Arizona and my good buddy, born again, lovely family, had a daughter when he was 45, his wife was 44 years old. Uh, She's 11 years old now and I see a father teaching purity to a daughter. Do you have any idea of how successful of a chance she has now? That the father would show a tenderness and a masculinity which this culture is stripping out of the man. It is masculine for a husband. It's masculine for a father to sit down with his young daughter and teach him virginity and teach him sexual purity and to watch out. That child knows she's loved. You don't leave it to the schoolyard to find out. You don't leave it to the classroom to find out. It's daddy's job, and I can tell you now, men are delinquent of their duty. I am challenging you, if you're a man and you have children, stand up and be a man and speak to your daughters. If you're planning on having a family, pray now to be standing up and speak to your children. It's the first line of defense. Let's go to our text. We're going to start in verse 20, chapter 6. That was my introduction. And I'll give a couple of words and we'll save it for the next couple of weeks.
No, we can go there. I'm still not finished with my introduction. Proverbs 6, 20 to 35. These chapters 5 to 7 introduce us to four women. Proverbs 5, 6, and 7 introduce us to four women. The adulteress, the foreign woman, the strange woman, and another man's wife. This is not, we got to be careful, this is not a gender war. Okay? In the Bible, in wisdom literature, which Proverbs is part of, there's lady wisdom, and there's lady folly. The whole book of Proverbs personifies wisdom as a lady wisdom or lady folly. It's not a gender thing at all. These are metaphors for illicit, sexual, perversive, pervertive behavior. That's all it is. This was a real sexual threat in its day. The adulterous foreign woman was a real sexual threat to the Jewish community. These nice Jewish communities living amongst pagan people. Sound familiar? Believers living amongst a pagan culture. That's us. With all their sexual sins was a real problem back then. It was a genuine problem for the nation of Israel. It's a genuine problem for me and you today. But also these women are metaphors for all kinds, as I said, illicit sex that plague any believing people in any age, anywhere. I have to believe it's more so now than ever before. I mean, the, the pornography is it's at your fingertips. It's sitting there, calling, seducing, dragging men and women down. It's a plague. Pandemic. So as you read these three chapters this week, and I want you to do recognize that these women, what they say, what these, these four women say, how they dress, what they do, and everything that describes them. Okay, I'm going to get into it as the weeks go on. And how it fits our culture and the description and all their seductions. We live in a seducing culture. It seduces. And here's the thing about seduction. You ready? As sinners... We're attracted to it. We're attracted to seduction. You would think, get away, forbidden woman. To the left, adulterous woman. Get away, be gone. And it doesn't work that way. You see, what Proverbs is talking about is not the sin, sexual sin. It's talking about sexual temptation. That's what it's talking about. It gives the consequences of the sin. But the wisdom is against the seduction. The wisdom is against the temptation that we could all naturally have. This is not us against them. This is us staying pure. They don't know what's right. We do. And we want to stay pure. Proverbs 1-9 to uses an interesting format that everybody needs to know. As we read, my son, listen to your father's commandments. That's the mother exhorting the child to listen to the father's commandments. Chapters 1 to 9 have a parental exhortation attached to it. Guess who's doing the teaching? The parents, specifically the mother of the father's commandments. 
we get a parent's eye view of the problems facing children. A parent's eye's view. And it's painful. And it's scary. But God is greater. No one is prepared for life who has not learned some basic lessons. Isn't that true? How about financial prudence? You don't stumble across financial prudence. You need to be taught it. You don't stumble along a meaningful work ethic. It needs to be shown to you by parents. Or moral precepts we're dealing with a sinful society. It needs to be taught. This is what Proverbs does, and it does it very well. It's preparing children for life in a sinful world. To be successful in one's life, one needs a game plan. We need a goal. It's not Russian roulette. Self-control is taught. You don't stumble upon it. And parents today are sending little Johnny and little Janie out into the street hoping they're going to stay sexually pure. Forget about that logic. Forget about that reasoning. Here in our text, we see the parents' genuine concern for the sexual future of the child. The parents' concern for the sexual... This is, it is God's ultimately wisdom. But it's the parents, it's the word of God, it's the morality of God being burdened upon the parents to teach these commandments. My son, you have to listen to the burden, write them on your heart, wrap them around your neck. It's life or death, son. It's life or death, daughter. Please be careful. It's a minefield out there. We need to be prepared. We need to be ready. We need to be on our guard at all times. That's what the text is saying. That's the tone. That's what we call the tone of the text. It's not, my son, be careful what you're doing. That's not the tone. The tone is urgency. The tone is love. The tone is a genuine concern. As a parent understands the dangers that are out there, that are lurking. These parents have a genuine concern for the sexual future of their child. Their deepest desire is that the child have a fulfilling and joyful married life. It goes beyond just don't fall into temptation. It goes beyond just don't walk by the dirty rack. This is going about, I want you to be a young daughter and marry to a young man and have a happy young life and a happy family one day. It goes beyond just the sexual experience and the sexual uh, uh, fulfillment. It goes to a happy family, a holy family, a together family. The parents are concerned for their sexual future, a joyful married life. Scripture teaches sexual purity as the key component to a happy life. It's one of the key components to a happy life, sexual purity. I've had the pleasure of speaking to people that grow up, most of them, I have to be honest, all in the church, that stayed sexually pure, both, both partners, the husband and the wife. As young teachers, they grew up in the church, they stayed sexually pure, and then they got married, and, and after 10 and 12 years, they, guess what? There's still a sexual happiness there. If you want to take this further, read everything John Piper writes on sexual purity. 
Okay? Listen to his sermon on sexual purity. This man has it, and the church needs it. Okay? But I've had the pleasure of speaking to people and hearing how they speak about it and openly and how beautiful it is because their mind is not marred by past sexual encounters as I spoke about how no one's ever sat down and told me, you know something, I am just so happy I had multiple sexual partners before I got married. Just, I'm just so happy. Um, me and my spouse are just so happy. You know, we, she had 50 and I had 60 and we compare notes and, oh, it's just wonderful. No one says that. No one says that. But guess why? You know what Silly Putty is? Remember Silly Putty? You take it, you put it on the Sunday paper and then you get the sun. And then what did you do? You know, you stretch it out, you pull it up again and the ink is still there, but the image is gone. And then you do it again. And you do it again. You see, you might not see the image, but the ink is still there. I'm so grateful I'm born again. So grateful I'm washed in the blood of Jesus Christ. I'm so grateful that I know it is the right way. I'm so, I'd rather say what Jesus says. I'd rather be a eunuch in the kingdom of God. I'd rather be just... I could care less, take any sexual desire away from me. I'd rather just be pure in Jesus' love. That's it. If I have to fight that all the time. But against these parents and against these children stands the law of illicit sex, personified in the prostitute or these four other women Parents know the aftermath of such behavior is disgrace. Parents know that the aftermath of this, such behavior is disgrace, and at best, it's personal destruction, at worst, I should say. So you understand something about the culture. Shame was a great concern to biblical writers. Shame was a great concern. Listen to verse 32. He who commits adultery lacks sense. He does it, he, he who does it destroys himself. He will get wounds and dishonor, and his disgrace will not be wiped away. Today, shame, guess what? Short-lived. No conscience. The president, extramarital affairs in the Oval Office, <laughs> everybody hucks it up, write it off. Sex here, church leaders falling into sight. I just read, uh, spoke to a friend of mine. Church leader, six, seven thousand people in the church fell into sexual sin. Year lady popped up in Arizona, opened up another church. Just no shame. No shame. Politicians are doing it, parents are doing it. No shame. How do you know shame? When do you when are you scared to come out of your house because of shame? When are you scared to get your head off the pillow and say, What did I do last night? How do you get up and look at yourself in the mirror? How do you look at your children? How do you look at your wife? How do you preach to the congregation? How do you do it? Like nothing's happened. It's all okay. I'm saved by grace. We're all saved by grace. Hallelujah. Last year I spoke about sexual temptations and how many ministers have fallen over the past year. This was last year I taught that, uh, that series. 
And somebody I followed, somebody has good teachings, he was reformed right on, fell into a sexual scandal. A year later, remarried, tweeted how happy him and his new wife are, and he's preaching in another church, and they're like nothing. Just, just move on. It's like changing underwear. Just move on. Oh, it's all under grace. You see, it's in the church. Once it's that deep within the church, that's why I'm going to scream it from the pulpit. We're screaming. We don't fall into that kind of shame. Today's shame is short-lived. It carries no power to restrain. Anyone. This is a real problem. Conscience used to be a leverage, but it's not no more. Let me close with this. Verse 20 and 21. My son, keep your father's commandment and forsake not your mother's teaching. Chapter 6, 20, 21, Jackie or Bill, would you mind? My son, keep your father's commandment and forsake not your mother's teaching. Bind them on your heart always. The beginning to sexual purity, listen to me, the beginning of sexual purity starts in the homes. It's the first line of defense. These are no empty words nor are they threats. But this is the will of God coming through the word of God, throwing, coming through godly parents into the heart of godly children. This is parents generally concerned. This is the first line of defense. My son, when you go to church today, listen to the pastor. My daughter, when you go to church today, listen to the Sunday school teacher. My daughter, when you go to church today, when you go to school today, don't listen. No. My son, my daughter, listen to the commandment of your parents who follow the living God. That's what the word of God is saying. The beginning of sexual purity for the young starts at home. And please understand me. When the home is devastated as it is now, now you know why we have such chaos in our society today. Social scientists have been following this for years. The trends are there. No one's listening. Communities are devastated. The black community, Latino community, white communities, all absolutely devastated. Take away mother and father out of the house, devastated. No one's speaking about it. But the church does. And that's why as pastors, we fight for the marriage. You fight, 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 fight for the marriage. You fight for the children. You fight for virtue. You fight for it. You confess You seek prayer. You seek counsel. There's an emphasis in these verses on the love of God and the love of the parents. That's what's coming out. This is not a moral teaching of, you know, do the right thing, don't do the wrong thing. Don't have sex. Or, you know, here's a condom, son. Or, you know, take birth control, daughter. You know, this is, this, is good. this is really looking into the eyeball to eyeball. My son, my daughter, I love you. Listen to the wisdom of God who created us male and female. And he's given us the gift of marriage and sexuality. He's given us the gift of sacred sex. We should, not be lack, we should not lack warning as we speak to our children about the subject. Don't shy away. 
Don't shy away. One of the applications here, the church's role is to support the parent in all this. Not to be the parent. But when the parent is not there, the church will become the parent and do the best we can to teach a child who comes from a broken home. But parents are the first line of defense. Especially fathers with their daughters. I got such a, a clear view of it this week. This section teaches us that we have to make our children aware of the right and wrong sexual expressing themselves. Let me just close with this. As a church, as a pastor, my role is first and foremost is to educate parents in their duty and teaching sexual awareness to their children. It's our duty. And to remind everybody who thinks or might have fallen short in this area that God's grace is sufficient and is a brand new fresh start with the Lord. There's a brand new fresh start because there's something even greater than sexual purity. It's spiritual purity. There's something greater than sexual virginity. It's spiritual virginity. It's being right vertically with the Lord. It's being cleansed in our soul from all shame and guilt and sin. This is the first and foremost of all purities. And this is what Jesus' blood does for us. This is when we came to Christ, we're washed and we're cleansed. And we got hope and peace again. And regrets of the past don't keep on haunting us and owning us. And the voices, and all of a sudden the Play-Doh is it, it's getting cleaner and it's getting cleaner. And, and the voices and the images of the past are going. They're being eradicated. And now a man and a woman can love one another. A husband and wife can love one another. Even with, uh, with an old past, they can still love one another because of God's grace. Let's pray. Father, we thank you. We praise you. We love you. We honor you, Father God. We can never do justice to the words you just spoke to us, God, but by your grace and your Holy Spirit, Father God, you can strengthen us for the task of teaching our loved ones, Father God, the young ones on sexual purity, the joy of sexual purity, the peace of sexual purity, the power of a sound mind in sexual purity, Father God. And in the interim, Father God, strengthen every man and woman in this room that struggles in this area, let them know the power of the word of God in Jesus' name.